That. Well, good day, everyone. Good to see you all. It's been a little while since I was last up here opening the Word, but I'm very excited to do it again today. It's a real joy to open God's Word with you all. Now, one of the great regrets of my life, all right, this is serious, is that I never made the most of my membership to Sydney Zoo. Now, if you don't know of Sydney Zoo, right, it's in uh, Western Sydney, it's just next to Mount Druitt open kind of just towards the end of 2019, right? And it is a good zoo, all right? It's got a good range of animals. It's got your classics, right? It's got your lions, your tigers, your elephants, giraffes, monkeys. It's cool, right? It's good. Not to mention, it's flat, right? Unlike the Mount Everest that is Taronga Zoo. If you've been there, you know what I'm talking about, right? Uh, And there's one path from the start of the zoo to the end of the zoo, You don't need a compass to find your way around. You just walk the one path. It's fantastic. It's so good, right? I promise I'm not being paid by the marketing department. But the best thing about Sydney Zoo, all those things are great, but the best thing is that before Ali and I moved to Wollongong, it was only a two-minute drive from our house, right? Yeah, it was cool. And so we decided to buy memberships. Right, we're going to get memberships to the zoo. Great value, okay? Unlimited trips to the zoo for 12 months, okay? And if you just go twice, you've paid it off. All it takes is going twice to pay off your membership. So I had grand plans, right? On my day off, I'll, I'll go down to the zoo and I'll grab a coffee and, and I'll walk around and I'll check out all the animals and I'll relax and I'll learn some stuff. I'll build my knowledge about the natural world. It's going to be great, right? And so week one, of my membership rolls around, it's my day off and I go down to the zoo and I have a coffee, it's okay, and I stroll around the zoo and I see the animals, they're pretty cool and I go to a few of the shows and I learn a few things and it's awesome, right? And that's the end of the story because I never went again. (laughs) Now, I am a member of Sydney Zoo. Actually, I think I currently still am so I should check that, make sure it doesn't auto-renew. But there is a reality that I am a member of the zoo, but it's a reality that actually needs to be played out by going to the zoo, right? Going to the zoo is designed to be the expression of your membership. You're supposed to go. Now, for the last three weeks, we've been walking through this new series, thinking about discipleship, what it means to be disciples of Jesus, devoted imitators of Jesus, We've seen that a disciple is someone who is saved by grace. They are someone who is devoted to Jesus and they're someone who is grounded in Scripture. Well, today as we have a look at Ephesians 4 together that Liz just read for us, we're going to see that a disciple of Jesus belongs to the church. A disciple of Jesus belongs to the church. And together we're going to see that A little bit like my zoo membership, there is a reality that every Christian already belongs to the church, but it's a reality that has to be played out in action as well. So how about I pray as we open up God's Word together this afternoon. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are so good to us. And so as we come to your Word, Father, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us and what we are not make us in the name of your son we pray amen 
Now, as I mentioned, uh, today we're in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 16, so please keep your Bible open in front of you. I've deliberately not put the passage on the slides as we go because I want you to look in the Bibles in front of you as we go and I'm going to refer back to it often. So please keep your Bibles open to Ephesians 4. Uh, But just by way of context before we jump into this passage, uh, Paul is writing here to the church in Ephesus and the church in Ephesus is made up of mostly Gentile believers. Now, if you don't know all that much about the relationship between the Jews and the Gentiles... The bottom line is that they don't get along so well, right? Actually, that's really understating it. Between the Jews and the Gentiles at this time in history, there is a deep chasm, a deep cultural and racial divide that has existed for generations. But in Ephesians chapter 2, just a little bit before what we're going to be exploring today, we find out something earth-shattering for the Jews and the Gentiles of the day. From chapter 2, verse 11. Flick back there if you've got your Bible, look with me. He says, Remember, Gentiles, that before Jesus came, you were not part of God's family. You were excluded, cut off from the covenant, the promises that God made to the Jews. But chapter 2, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus... You who were once far away, that is you Gentiles, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. In other words, when Jesus died on the cross, when he spilled his blood, he opened the way for the Gentiles to be a part of God's family too, not just the Jews. From two groups, Jew and Gentile, he created one new group, one new humanity reconciled to God through the cross. So with that kind of floating around in the back of our minds, come with me now again to chapter 4. And in chapter 4, we're going to see three things about discipleship and belonging to church. And the first thing we're going to see is this, it's from verses 1 to 6. You already belong to the church. You already belong to the church. This might sound like a bit of a strange thing to say to a bunch of people who are sitting in a church, right? You know you belong because you're here, right? But let's have a look anyway uh, at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. This is what Paul says. He says, As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Paul has spent the first three chapters of this letter exploring and explaining the ins and outs of the gospel, right? And now in chapter 4, in light of that gospel, he urges them to live lives that are worthy of the calling they have received. What is the calling? Well, the calling he's talking about here is the gospel. The call from God to accept his offer of forgiveness and to move from spiritual death 
to spiritual life. That's what we talked about uh, in week one when we opened up Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. A disciple is someone saved by grace. But this gospel is not just a gospel of grace. God's call when he saves us is not just a call to receive forgiveness that we don't deserve. Don't hear me wrongly, it is that. It absolutely is that. But the gospel is so much more than that. Right? Pretty much all of chapter 2 and chapter 3 in this letter, Paul has been explaining how it's also a gospel of unity, of oneness, of reconciliation of restoring not only people's relationship with God, but also people's relationships with each other. That's the calling that the Ephesians and us have received. To be united with God and with each other. United with God and with each other. And Paul urges them to live out this calling, right? To live out this restored relationship. That's what verses 1 to 6 are all about. Have a look at some of the language that Paul uses in verses 1 to 6. Verse 2, right? Be humble. Put the needs of each other before your own. Be gentle. Treat each other with kindness, not with aggression or roughness. Be patient. Recognise that at times you will hurt each other but don't give up on one another. These are attitudes that foster unity, right? They're unifying attitudes. Verse 3, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit that you share. Verses 4, 5 and 6, there is one spirit, there is one Lord, there is one God. This is our God, one spirit, one Lord, one God. And because of that, there is one faith that you share. There is one baptism that you have all been baptised with, one hope you all hold on to and one body that you are a part of, the church. Whether we like it or not, receiving the gospel of grace, becoming a disciple of Jesus means that we also belong to the church. The second that you accept God's call to become a Christian, to follow Jesus, you are not just united to God, you are also united to every other person who has also accepted the call. Every other person who has also accepted God's grace, you're united to them too. If you belong to Jesus, you belong to the church. If you belong to Jesus, you belong to the church. Now, I just want to clarify here, I'm not talking about the local church at this point, right? I'm not saying that as soon as John Smith down the street becomes a Christian, he automatically becomes a member of St. Michael's, Wollongong and Coromel. That would be fantastic if that did happen, wouldn't it? No, that's not what we're talking about. That's not what Paul is saying either. What we mean by the church here is the body of people every single person in any place in heaven or on earth throughout all time who has accepted the gospel of grace. When you accept the gospel, you get grafted into that community, joined to that community, united to that community. 
So if you belong to Jesus, you already belong to the church. That is a reality for every true disciple, but it's clearly also a reality that needs to be worked out in action, right? That's why Paul urges them, be united because they are united, right? You can't just sign up for the zoo, you also have to show up to the zoo. So what does it look like for us to act out our unity as the church, to act out our belonging to one another? Well, the answer to that question is the second thing that we're going to see today about belonging to church and it's in verses 7 to 12. You've been given gifts that you should use. You've been given gifts that you should use. Now, verses 7 to 10 is a tricky little section, okay, and I'm not going to dive into all that's going on there now, but I would love to talk to you about it afterwards if you have questions. The key to it, though, is verse 7, right? Verse 7 is the key to that section. Look at it. But to each one of us, that is, to each Christian, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. We already know that, right? We've just talked about it that we've all received grace, we know all Christians have received grace. Paul isn't referring to saving grace here though. He's not referring to saving grace. That's been apportioned to everyone the same. No, he's referring to something here that's been given to each believer differently. Each believer has this grace apportioned differently. He's talking about gifts. Gifts which are given to every believer for the good of the church. Every Christian has been given gifts and they're all different. There's a whole multitude, a whole range of gifts that have been given, but every believer has been given gifts. You could have a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and check out some of the stuff that Paul says about that there. Which means that since you are a Christian you are a part of the body and since you are a part of the body, you have been given gifts. There is no true disciple of Jesus who has nothing to offer the church. Let me say that again. There is no true disciple of Jesus who has nothing to offer the church. That's not a thing. If you are a Christian, you have been given gifts and you should use them. Some gifts, well, they're more obvious than others, right? Some gifts are more upfront gifts, like teaching, right? While some are less in your face. They're more behind the scenes, like showing mercy or being encouraging, right? You can check out Romans 12. There's a whole list of those kind of gifts. Really cool. Check out Romans 12. But every Christian has gifts, and those gifts are needed. They're not just wanted, they're necessary. Here in uh, Ephesians chapter 4, in verse 11, Paul lists uh, some gifts and the gifts that he lists are apostleship, prophecy, evangelism and pastoring and teaching. Now, uh, this is not an exhaustive list but he's chosen these ones for a reason. Uh, The apostles and the prophets, right, they did the work of speaking and teaching God's word before we had the whole of the scriptures, I think those gifts are not given anymore in the same way. But there's definitely still evangelists and pastor teachers, absolutely. 
And actually, regardless of what you think of uh, the interpretation of apostles and prophets, the point is that these are gifts that are specifically related in some way to the teaching of God's Word. Right? All the gifts that Paul lists here are related to the teaching of God's Word in some way. You might not have these gifts and that's okay because others do. And the job of those that have the gifts of teaching God's Word is, as it says in verse 12, to equip everyone to use their own individual gifts to serve each other. Everyone has been given gifts to serve each other so that the body of Christ may be built up. We have all been given gifts to serve the church without exception. I have gifts that God has given me that others need. And others have gifts that I don't have but I need desperately. So in a really special and really unique way, we are all gifts to each other. How cool is that? We are all gifts to each other. I, uh, I used to be a teacher. I used to be a PE teacher. And one of the things that I would do if I needed to get uh, kids into groups is I would say, go and find six other people that don't share the same birth month as you. Right? Go and find six people who don't share the same birth month as you. To the kid born in April, he doesn't need anyone else born in April, he needs someone born in June. Right? And to the girl born in June, well, she needs the kid born in April. Right? That's like the church. God has gifted us all differently, but we are all necessary to each other so that the whole church can be built up. So in order to actually use these gifts to serve each other and to actually go about doing that work of building up the church, we need to meet together, right? We actually have to meet together to do that. Which is why if you're a Christian, right, aside from belonging to the universal body of Christ, everyone anywhere through all time who's accepted the gift of grace, you also need to belong to a local church. You need to belong to a local church. As a bit of a side note, that's why it doesn't work when someone says, I'm a Christian but I don't go to church. Not only does that person miss out on what they need from other Christians, but they also deprive other Christians of what they need from you. It's not healthy for that person or for the church. Here's some other things uh, that all of this might mean for you. Number one, you are never useless in a local church. You are never useless in a local church, unless you happen to be the spiritual appendix. No, that's not a thing. You are never useless in a local church. Regardless of how many rosters you're on or how many leadership positions that you fill, you have gifts that you can use to serve others and build up the church. You do. You have them. You're never useless. Number two, let the truth that you are necessary to others be a motivation for you, right? When you worked late on Saturday night and it's so easy to just sleep in on Sunday morning and miss church. 
when you're going through a busy season with family and it's so easy for church to be the thing that just goes on the back burner. When you're stressed about your schoolwork and it's so easy to let youth group be the thing that you drop. When there's a party on a Wednesday night and you're really just tempted to skip growth group. When those times come, remember that there's more to being a part of the local church than what you can get out of it. You are a gift and a necessary gift to others. Let that motivate you to be there. Let it motivate you. Not guilt you, motivate you. Number three, your gifts are not yours, they are given. Your gifts are not yours, they are given. If you have an upfront gift like teaching, you are not more special than any other person in the church. Your gift was given by Jesus. And if you don't have a public and obvious gift, you are not less special than those up the front because your gift was given by Jesus. Number four, if you're aware of gifts that you have that could be used to serve others in the church and you're not using them, you are depriving others of what God intends to give them through you. Let me say that one more time. You are depriving others of what God intends to give them through you. So use your gifts. Use the gifts that God has given you to serve. And number five, if you're not sure what your gifts are, that's okay. Right? That's okay. Discuss it with your growth group leader, with your Christian friends, with those who are closest to you because guess what? Your gifts are given to you to serve others. So there's a good chance that they might have an inkling of what your gifts are, even if you don't. Right? Ask people. That's a good thing to do. Now, uh, you might be sitting there and thinking, well, this all sounds good, but if we're going to go to all this effort of figuring out what our gifts are and then figuring out how we can use them and then using them to serve others and then thinking less about what I can get out of church and more about what I can put into church and... It'd be good to know why. Like, why are we going to all this effort? What's the point, right? Why has God designed it this way? What's the purpose of all this? What are we trying to achieve by serving each other in the local church and in the broader body of Christ? What's our aim? Well, that's the third thing that I want us to see from Ephesians chapter 4 tonight, uh, from verse 13 onwards. We use our gifts so that each of us as disciples and the church as a whole will mature. We serve each other so we can all mature. Now, this, uh, this series is about discipleship, right? And we've been going with this simple but clear definition that a disciple is a devoted imitator of Jesus, right? A devoted imitator of Jesus. And I just want to clarify what we mean when we say imitator, right? Because I think this is important. A disciple of Jesus is not just someone who copies the things that Jesus does because they think he's a good dude. All right? Like uh, imagine the little boy who throws on his tool belt and dresses up like his dad because his dad's his hero. It's not so much like that. It's more like an apprentice carpenter who closely observes the tradesmen at work, 
who sees how he does things and learns to do them the same way so that his instinct will become the same as the instinct of the tradesman. He imitates him so that he will grow and change and mature to be like the tradesman by nature. A disciple of Jesus can't just be content with copying Jesus' behaviours, right? A true disciple of Jesus is seeking to change their nature to become more like Jesus, to think like he thinks, to act like he acts, to grow and mature, to be like him. So, becoming more like Jesus, that's the goal of discipleship, right? Becoming more like Jesus. And Ephesians chapter 4 tells us, right, back in Ephesians 4, the purpose of using our gifts to serve each other is so that, verse 13, we will become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And therefore, verse 14, the church will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. We serve each other so that ultimately the church will become the perfect new humanity, completely unified and functional under Jesus as the head into eternity. That's why we serve each other. That's a pretty glorious goal. So we belong to the church and we serve each other in the church because the church is one of the primary ways that God has designed for us to be made more like Jesus. We belong to the church because the church is one of the primary means that God has given us to make us more like Jesus. I am given to you. You are given to me. We are all given to each other. To use our gifts to serve each other so that we might all become more like Jesus. You do belong to the universal church. You have been given gifts and you should use them to serve so that we might all become more like Jesus because that is the ultimate aim of every true disciple. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, you are so good to us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your church. Thank you that you've given us each other, that we are all uniquely gifted individuals, part of one unified body called to love and serve each other. We pray that that would be expressed here at St Mix so that we might all become more and more like Jesus until he returns. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.